This episode of Friends of Flow is brought to you by NCLEX Mastery. If you're a nursing student and you're about to take your NCLEX, you need to go to the App Store right now and download NCLEX Mastery. All right, folks, welcome back. This is another episode of Friends of Flow. My name is Tess Judge Ellis. Hi, everybody. I'm Rebecca Porter. And this is Andy Witters. And, you know, we are all about nursing and empowering nursing, and we bring on fun and interesting guests. So today, Andrew has a guest that he has brought with him. I do. I have a guest, Kimberly Blackwell, a physical therapist here in our community, and I just want to welcome her to our show. Welcome, Welcome, Kim. Welcome, Kim. Hi, thank you for having me. Nice to have you with us. So, Kim, can you tell us a little bit about um, yourself and the physical therapy world? So, um, back in high school, kind of how I got here, um, I knew I wanted to go into healthcare, but wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to help people be involved in science and anatomy. Um, I looked at physician's assistant. I looked at medical school. And then I volunteered at a physical therapy clinic. And they were, I remember there was a a patient that had had some stroke or neurologic damage. And they were re-teaching this patient um, how to walk and regain function. And that was kind of my moment of like, oh, this is what I want to do. I like movement. I like helping people. And so then I started looking at physical therapy. And from that time, I was pretty much set. And I knew that the University of Iowa had a really great physical therapy program. It was ranked, you know, usually in the top three or so in the country. So I thought, well, if I'm going to end up there anyway, I might as well just start there. So I came to the University of Iowa and I originally majored in biology, but then I realized that it really, it was encompassing all of biology, not just human physiology. And um, so I switched majors to exercise science, which is based on human anatomy and physiology and went through um, graduate school or went through undergraduate here at Iowa and then stayed here for graduate school um, and never left. Did you get your doctorate then, a DPT? I didn't. Um, So if you're not familiar, physical therapy is really changing. Um, It it originally was a bachelor's degree. Right, right. Yeah. And then it switched to master's. And more recently, most, if not all of the schools now have clinical doctorates. So they have their DPT. Um, I actually was the last class of master's you got away with it didn't you yeah and (laughs) some of there's the option to go back and get your clinical doctorate some of my classmates from graduate school have um in in the pt world i guess i chose to instead of going and taking classes to change my um abbreviations after my name, um, to spend my time and effort more in my specialty and getting continuing education to work on my clinical skills versus um, classroom work. So what was your journey um, through clinical physical therapy to what you're doing now? And can you tell us what you're doing? So when you, you go through your classroom work, and then at the end, you have three roughly two-month clinicals um, to graduate, and then, of course, you take your boards. So your clinicals, you can choose what area, just like medical school, what area you think you're interested in. I did, I always knew I wanted to work in outpatient 
Um, so I did two outpatient clinicals and then I did actually one, this was, this was my, um, getting away from Iowa for a little bit. I went to North Carolina and worked at a neuro rehab facility. So a lot of spinal cord injuries, um, things like that. And then when you take your boards, you are certified, you know, as a PT or licensed as a PT. Um, and then after that, you really just find your niche of what you want to do, um, so, and with your continuing ed, it can be anything from nutrition to kinesio taping, cupping, dry needling, or treating different populations of um, clients. And so after a couple of years of practice, I decided that I was ready to, you know, kind of dive into a specialty. And I talked to my manager and we decided that I would try a continuing education class in treating pelvic floor dysfunction. And that was back in 2005. And I dabbled in it a little bit um, here and there with clients. Then I took another course a year or two later, and um, it's just gradually built um, to... Yeah, we were talking about how you have quite the subspecialty in... Pelvic floor dysfunction. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about pelvic floor dysfunction. So who who gets referred to you? And how does, like yeah. how does that happen? Tell us about your patient's um, concerns. I don't know anything so about it. I get a little bit of everything. Um, I treat prenatal issues, postpartum issues um, for women. Um, I also for females treat either. So I want to get back up because nurses are really interested in the lived experience of someone with a condition. So, and, um, I mean, so in my mind, this person with pelvic floor dysfunction has symptoms or complaints that are brought to the attention. Mm -hmm. What's typically the pattern of those symptoms? So it really, it really depends if it's prenatal. Um, it can be a lot of even just orthopedic things like back pain, um, so uh, pregnancy, pregnancy and pregnant, related. The posi- positioning of the fetus pressing down on the pelvic floor. It could be. It could also just be postural changes because there's so much added weight anteriorly in the front between baby that it puts a lot of stress on the back. Um, and then, of course, sciatic nerve issues is always a really big one um, for pregnancy. Postpartum, it could be anywhere from... Um, recovery from a C-section or the delivery to back pain from how they're breastfeeding or how they're holding baby. Oh, not to mention the um, urinary incontinence, the how the disruption of the, you know, the muscle stressing and stretching and all of that. That's, I guess, when I think of pelvic floor dysfunction, I think of incontinence, urinary That's incontinence. That's what I think of, too. And also fecal incontinence, too. Yes. And then I think about... Um, you know, just anything that stretches that group of muscles that holds our pelvis. Yeah, that is, that's definitely a main, a, a big condition that I treat. And it can be young women that have just had babies. It could be um, women that are trying to get back to fitness and they're having issues with jumping jacks or sure, leaking, right? Or mm-hmm. it could be women later in life that are maybe having a prolapse where, right. you know, something's dropping. So menopausal changes in yeah. tissue, right? So um, we're, we're yeah. talking about an area that's, that's, that's pretty private. It, it's delicate, obviously, but patients might not feel comfortable just talking to everyone uh, about pelvic floor issues. 
what's going how, on down there. Right. That's yeah. the down right. there. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. what we call it. And, and so yeah, and we have we have a culture that that belly doesn't, button to knees that doesn't want issues, yeah, yeah yeah we we don't we don't want to call it for what it is. We're we're afraid to see perineum or, or even well, or except, even further you know, define. Except what, you're getting a lot more TV exposure, right? Yeah. I mean, now it's like the cool underwear sure. that the really attractive woman's wearing <laughs> under right, her tight right. dress, right? So, so this is. But I mean, I think what you're getting at is the delicacy of the relationship that goes yes, on, right? Exactly. And so, so I, I want to know how Kim is able to to build uh, the, that that trust with the patients to to intervene appropriately. Right. For, well, I think for, it for even goes before that because how many women and men are out there suffering, and because right. it's down there, exactly, they're not even yeah. going to talk, and it speaks to the relationship that we have with our care providers for sure that we can actually well, I think we all kind of connect about all that yeah, stuff. yeah. Right. And, and to actually say and then for the providers to um actually know to refer somebody right. rather than just say okay do twenty thousand kegels right. and come and see me in 10 years <laughs> i hear that a right. lot so yeah. talk and about even in the even yeah. in in my my friend circles um i remember a was at a a flag football game for my son and someone mentioned it and one of the other moms looked at me and she was like you do that and I was expecting her to be kind of right like mortified like oh my gosh I didn't know and she she looks at me and she says why have we never talked about this (laughs) so I'd known this person for a long time but I think building the relationship starts like from the minute they walk in the door my front desk knows that they don't talk loudly they don't discuss why they're there which is of course for all patients but um then when they make their way back to me it's always in a private room. It's always only with me. I'm the one that gets them front from the front desk. Nobody else is really interacting with them. And I start, I have a lot of patients that come in like a deer in headlights and they're like, I had no idea this existed. I And I think that's a big concern. They don't know what to expect. They don't know. Um, and so I kind of start by laying out what the treatment is. And I always emphasize that it's really not any different than if they were coming for their shoulder older or right. their back. Sure. It's just Absolutely. a set of muscles. Absolutely. How we evaluate them can be different. Um, and really, it's there's, there's so many things that I can do to treat them without doing anything invasive. And I get the gamut of patients. I get patients that come in and they just are telling me... Letting it all and hang out. Letting it all out. <laughs> and that's great. I have patients that um, are very apprehensive about it. And I just gauge my treatment there. And I, you know, there's lots of things that we can work on without doing anything invasive. It can be posture, breathing, you know, just core strengthening or stretching. And it doesn't even have to. And so sometimes for patients that are apprehensive, we'll start there. And maybe a few visits down the road, they'll say, okay, let's let's take a closer look. Or they might be getting better with just all the external treatments and posture and things that we're working on. And then we never even have to do anything more intimate. So do you see men in your, or do men come? I do. I started seeing males in probably a few years after I started um, my first continuing education class. And so once they once I started um, having males referred to me, most often initially it was after um, they'd had prostate cancer and had a prostatectomy. I requested of my company to send me to a male-specific course. And as it's grown, my practice is 
pretty much equal now between males and females. And then I do still see all the orthopedic things. As and well. how do men respond to a woman? Do you um, think there's an issue? I mean, I can see that you would, you as a person would not ever um, let that be a it barrier. It really but hasn't been much of an issue. A lot of times by the time they end up in my clinic, they have been through so much that they just want to be better. And they've either, if it's a prostate cancer, um, prostatectomy client, um, they've, you know, they've been through this road, they just want to be better. Or if it's someone that's coming for pelvic pain, a lot of times they've, you know, started with their family doctor and then been to this and this and this, trying to figure out why they were having pain. So by the time they get to me, they just they just want to feel better. And for the most part, that really has not been too much of an issue. Cool. Cool. Well, thanks for your introduction. Um, I think it's we can take a break. Yeah. And um, so we'll be friends of Flow signing off, and we'll come back with our uh, guest Kim, a physical therapist, in just a moment. Here at NCLEX Mastery, we love nurses and especially nursing students, but we need your feedback about this podcast. If you have ideas on topics or you have questions you want us to answer, shoot us a message, leave a comment, go to our Facebook page and just tell us what you think because we want to help you in the most specific way that you need that help. Thank you so much. So we're back at it with Friends of Flow. My name is Tess Judge Ellis. I'm Rebecca Porter. And this is Andy Witters here and we have a wonderful guest. Uh, Kimberly Blackwell with us today. She's a physical therapist. So we were talking a lot before our break about um, Kim's subspecialty, especially in pelvic floor issues. And it's a real, you know, vulnerable population because it's about what goes on down there, right? Sure. Yeah. So a lot of affects urination. It maybe affects sexual intercourse. It's, you know, uh, and it's very body image oriented. And it's about private stuff like urination and pooping that people don't like to talk about. So the um but so and then as nurses we really have an opportunity inpatient and outpatient to encounter people in vulnerable times and oftentimes that's my experience is that nursing when we get more information about resources out there that can be helpful we end up wanting to give tips and tools for people but then i think a lot of us want to what i consider warming them up to see a subspecialist and because sometimes patients will just do what we say, hey, I want you to see Kim and we'll just write a prescription and or a consult and they'll go there. And other times it's like they don't even know that they even need this, you know, or they the access to care is an issue. So, I mean, I think that's kind of what we were jabbering about, wasn't yeah, it, Andrew? Yeah. So, Kim, you know, as I'm speaking to what do you think about all of that? So stuff? first I think is letting the patients know that this is not something that they just have to live with. This is right. this is an area that so much of the time it just gets chalked up as, well, you know, I've had three I'm or aging, four kids, right? I'm mm-hmm. getting older, this is just what happens to women or as we get older. And I really use the uh, the analogy that what may be common is not necessarily normal and it's not something that you just have to accept. So I think first is letting them know that something can be done about this. Um, And then kind of what I reiterated before is that this is not something that's going to be scary. I work really hard, as I'm sure all of my pelvic floor PT um, um, coworkers do, to really make a safe space for these people. And 
once again, know that they are not obligated to do anything invasive. But it also normalizes right. the the commonality, right. that this is a common thing that happens, mm-hmm. and we just never talk about it. Yeah, I get a lot of questions, like, how many uh, patients come in and they're like, do you see this a lot? And I'm like, well, it's three o'clock in the afternoon and you're my seventh patient today that's had this. So yes, I see it a lot. And also um, just from a medical perspective, nurses, doctors, um, doing a little bit of research, whether it's talking with me, um, requesting brochures, because really for a lot of these conditions, we do really get good success with conservative treatments. So being familiar and being able to relay that to your patients, that you will try this first before medications. And a lot of people do really well. Right, um, or so enough better that they that don't want to take the risks of a medication, right? right? Yeah. Or a surgery. And yeah. or, or surgery, for sure, right. which has, you know, consequences as well. Right, and I think that both from a PT standpoint as well as a medical standpoint, that whole multidisciplinary approach is educating the patient and really making them an active participant because the more that they rather than just saying do this do that really letting them know why we're doing these things for sure um so empowering right and Mm -hmm. then more invested they will be and they can feel and then they can also take that when they're done with pt and feel like they have some control as opposed to well i got treatment for four weeks and now i'm done but really letting them know, okay, this is where you need to go to be in a good place of wellness. Yeah. So it seems like it's it's um, incontinence. Mm-hmm. It's um, pelvic pain. It's pelvic pain. pain. It's we pelvic haven't talked pain, much about and that. And then low yeah. back pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I um, cottoned on to that you said earlier, Kim, was um, ergonomics and back pain and um related to actual pregnancy, but also with breastfeeding. And people bring their babies into the clinic so that you can actually see. Yeah, I, I take whatever approach is needed. I think outside the box. I have had people take pictures of their their rocking chair that they um, that they nurse in. I've had patients bring their babies in and and show me how they nurse, and we'll we'll play around and say, okay, what if you put a pillow here? Use a stool under your feet. Reposition. Um, maybe try a side lying position instead. Um, and then of course there's there's bringing in other professionals, whether it's um, a doula, midwife, lactation consultant, to that um, maybe are really more specially trained in different breastfeeding techniques mm-hmm. so yeah cool that's great that, that's very holistic right yeah I mean, team, it's, well it's, it's very, team based as well yeah exactly um another uh, interesting similarity that uh uh you mentioned uh in, our, in the first part of our of our podcast when you get licensured um uh you're considered this generalist so there, there's a lot of similarity there between uh uh are nurses who get um, their licensure and then they're just sort of out in the out in the ocean of of, of healthcare, and so um, I'm just kind of interested to to know how you got into this specialty. Was it uh, out of a business need or was it out of more of a a personal level of interest that you like to see these patients? To because um, I'm sure there is some gratification with empowering the, the, these folks, um, or is it like a little bit of both? But how did, I guess, how did you decide um, uh, to choose this particular uh, specialty? Because I, I think there's something to, to learn here from our, our, our listeners of how to, how to choose. Like once you're well, licensed. Well, I think you're, you, 
I get where you're going. And we talked about it a little bit. There's a niche. Right. It's a niche and a fit. Mm-hmm. And then it sounds like you had a company that recognized your capacity to move forward. Right. So I would say it was a little bit of both. Um, I originally had approached my manager um, with the idea that I would maybe do some continuing education in the field of breast cancer, lymphedema. And oh, very good. Um, Interesting. so that yes. was my actually original thought, because I did want something with that I really could get to know these patients on really personal level, because I just I think that that's for me where my strength is. I, I help patients feel comfortable and really get an empathetic, like strong connection with these patients. Um, and so I originally had considered lymphedema post breast cancer treatment. And she had actually said, well, we can do that, but we actually really get a lot of calls for incontinence and pelvic floor. So would you consider that? So I said, sure. And um, so it was a little bit of both. I, I remember yeah. in college we had we had literally one hour long seminar seminar on pelvic floor. So as we get a, introduced to it a little bit, but like a lot of specialties, you get a touch, but there's just not there's so much to learn that you can't really delve into it in in PT school. And actually, when I was in college working as an aide at actually the same company I work for now, there was a PT that treated pelvic floor. So I got a little introduction to that, um, just seeing her treat patients, of course. Um, and so I had a little bit of knowledge about what that entailed. And so when she suggested pelvic floor, I said, okay, sure, that sounds fine. And so I actually, they flew me down to Miami, which was rough. In January. Oh, uh, so I got terrible. to go down to Miami for, um, and the, the original course that I went to was three, three days um, and came back. And that just gave me almost like the generalist, like, okay, these are the basics. And then you, you build on that. And it's a practice. Yeah. And almost within that subspecialty, you can develop subspecialties from that. So you can really go to to the nutrition or mobilization of some of the fascia and things like that. So you can almost develop your specialty within the specialty. Can I ask a question, Andrew? I'm interested in, I mean, if we're here talking, we're nurse practitioners, right? So I don't know how acquainted you are with that field. Um, But we have regulatory and licensing um, supervision type issues. And I know scope of practice, scope of practice <laughs> issues. I know that that varies. I mean, um, from state to state for physical therapists too. What are some of those issues that you as a profession are interested in? So, um, so our, our guidelines or requirements are 40 hours every two years, and they can once again be, be anything to be able to treat certain specialties. You don't specifically need, uh, you don't have to get board certified in mm-hmm. women's health or whatever, um, but but you can. Um, no, that's a good question. So, I mean, I think that that gets kind of to this, like, so you guys are prepared very greatly as a generalist, mm-hmm. and then you can get certifications, but you don't necessarily need them in order to be qualified, quote unquote, to go into a specialty area. Licensed. Yeah, Yeah, licensed or even um, certified, even to bill for those capacities, correct? 
And then the other um, aspect was scope of practice. Now I know when I've taught, of course, you know what, you know, you're getting old and pain in pain when you say my physical therapist. So <laughs> my physical therapist <laughs> and dial. I, right, talked about this one time and he said probably one of their biggest issues as a profession was whether or not patients could self-refer sure. or whether or not they had to go through a primary care provider. Mm-hmm. Can you think of any other aspects as like a profession, right, that, that we can kind of you know, because some, one of the things we can do is learn from other professions Mm -hmm. and how they've moved forward. Yeah. So, so within Iowa, you can self-refer, um, direct access to physical therapy. Um, except I think for Medicare. Well, they, they, yes, it does depend. It's insurance dependent on whether they will pay. So you still can self-refer. Right, right. You can do whatever you want to. You can do whatever you want to. Yeah. You can direct access. But to get insurance to pay for it. And we touched on that you don't need to be certified. So I think that's one of the, the biggest things in any nurse um physicians physical therapists is yes we we don't need a certification to treat these certain conditions but recognizing okay this is you know maybe i need to bring my coworker in on this um right, where sure. that has they have more training and just is knowing when to collaborate with either the doctor or the nurse or or another physical therapist and a- acknowledging that and i think it's interesting too cuz you know part of well, I have a question. Where is your license held? Is it held in the Board of Medicine or is it held in like, do you know what the state, like who helps you with that? I think it's health professions, is it? What is it in Iowa? I'm sure it varies state to state. But. So is it, I believe it's the Board of Public Health maybe. Okay. Um, that, um, and then within that, Board of you know Physical Therapy. Uh-huh. So. so you're not under the control of the Board of Medicine? Don't think so. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. So part of it is like, you know, this is another issue you're putting can like the patient needs to know what they're getting into when they see a physical therapist Mm -hmm. and the physical therapist's ethical responsibility is to know when they need support from a more specialized person and that sort of thing. So good. That's great. What's your advice for um, people who are listening who are in hospital based um, working inpatient units and maybe on OBGYN or in urology, and they can anticipate that there could be some issues down the road. How how do you open that conversation? How would how would you open that conversation as a nurse to say you might want to think about how to handle this? postoperatively so i think that letting the patients know what what normal recovery is like and and really so that they know okay this is normal this is normal recovery from the surgery or birth and and then knowing what's not normal um so if if they have urinary incontinence three days after childbirth versus four or five or six months and they're kind of like, well, should this be better by now? Really, so that the patients know what normal recovery should be. And then if it's something is extending beyond that time, to let the doctor or the nurse know and say, if this is, if this is happening, please let me know and we'll, we'll address that. This is a slight segue into a different topic, but I just want to take it that because hospital stays are so short, and at least nurses, and I, I don't know how much outpatient education experience physicians get in their training, um, I don't think nurses get very much at all, that there's very little 
inherent knowledge of normal recovery. So people were discharged from the hospital to nothing. And the surgeon might say, well, check in with me in four weeks. And there's no visiting nurse that comes to see you four days later that can say, you know, it's time to go and look at this, or this is going well. And so there's this whole area of knowledge that's lost because we've short, not we, because um, healthcare money has been limited for in-hospital stay. And I think that's a that's a really valid point, and it's a really so it's tough, hard to yeah, know. it's a tough thing to Nurses address. Nurses don't know what does a perineum look like five days after episiotomy. Oh, well, and I wonder yeah. too, Andrew, this is something yeah. I think from a skilled standpoint with the really elderly, vulnerable, and I know that's not your subspecialty necessarily, but well, yeah. why don't we take a break? <laughs> um, Tess, Rebecca, and Andy here with our guest, Kim, a physical therapist. All right, so we're this is Friends of Flow, and we're back from break. Uh, my name is Tess Judge Ellis. I'm Rebecca Porter, and this is Andy Witters. And we have our guest with us today, Kim, our physical therapist. Um, back in the olden days, yeah, when I did my bachelor's degree in Calgary, Alberta, University of Calgary, we were assigned a family for four years, and we followed families for four years in addition to. Um, are in hospital work. And there was also the Victoria Order of Nurses as well as public health nurses. And we, we did all of that community health nursing so that we, and people were in the hospital for days, sometimes a couple of weeks. And so we saw what normal healing looks like mm-hmm. and, and how wounds heal over time. And and now nobody does community health nursing. I have no idea right. who ends up in community health nursing. So then you get these nurse practitioners that are doing community health nursing. What do they know? They've only ever been in ICU for a year, and then they go to nurse right. practitioner school and get office stuff, but they've never gone into people's homes. I know, the whole movement towards the need for improved ambulatory nursing exposure, do you know? And the, but I, so, yeah. I mean, so I'm totally with you, therapy. Rebecca. Well, so for physical I feel your therapy, pain. Yeah. You know? Physical I know you therapy do. was very, was integral to what was happening in the hospital, and that was what helped people get out quicker. Was And we know people need to heal better. They heal better at home. Too much crapola happens if they stay in the hospital. So now exactly. the government, yeah. now the government the, has said 
family members have to be educated. There's a law. People have to be educated before people are discharged. Who's going to take care of this? Well, well, let me let me just let me just let me just jump in here because because I mean as a as a community health provider, I mean uh, that that, that's how I view myself. That's how our entire practice sees themselves. Uh, There there is a disconnect between uh, especially large hospital systems like with their, with their communities. They're, they're sort of seen as like the mothership, if you will. Um, this is where you go for all your stuff, and once you're discharged from you're here, done. It's, it's the, the horse blinders are on. Yeah. Okay? So uh, in the skilled facilities, it's sort of like hospital care 2.0. It abs- absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and a lot goes on in, in skilled facilities that the general public does not no, know no, about. Uh-uh. They, they have no clue. Like So there's... IV therapies are right, continuing. Right. And uh, providers like myself, we're in charge of making these connections happen uh, for a team-based care approach uh, with our, our physical therapists, our respiratory therapists, our nutritionists, all who have a very integral part in a patient's care experience. And the, the thing that annoys me as a, as a provider and, and someone who does lead uh, patients and teams into a, a patient care experience. Uh, physical therapists like Kim or uh, n- the nutritionists I work with, they sort of get thrown under the bus. Like like the, the phrase that I can't stand is when I hear someone say, oh, well, I'm just a nutritionist. I'm just a physical therapist. I, I, I try to turn that on its head and say like, listen, well, you're, you're what the patient has right now to help them, to help guide them in there and, and some degree of functional movement so they can like get up off the toilet. Like that's a huge responsibility right. to better their lives right now. So you're doing a great job. Can you help me a little bit longer for the next three Well, I days? mean, it's almost I like... Need to, I need to see this patient perform a squat-like motion here so they can, yeah. <laughs> they, they can, they don't have to fall down every, every two days. And then I'm in charge of trying to figure out if they have a broken... Uh, a broken bone somewhere, all while my hospital says, Andy, I need you to keep these people out of the hospital. And by the way, uh, you know, you're doing an okay job here, but uh, you know, let's just keep these people out, you know? And right. so, so it's, right. it's there, there's a very delicate balance. There's a lot of relationships that go on. There's a lot of interesting team dynamics. I think when you bring in the holistic care rationales that, that are centered around um, the, the integrated team approach for healthcare. Um, I just want to throw that. We're out way there launching. For, love yeah. it, love it. <laughs> it's a and Kim. I, obviously, we've ignored you. Oh, this fine. is because but, this is but this, no, this no. Is, but this is also why we have Kim on. So 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 right. we want to give our, our 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 physical therapy brothers and sisters some 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 credit. Uh, I, I, at least I think. Um, well, with vulnerable populations, I mean, yours is absolutely. in the nursing home. Mine is with. Um, people with serious mental illness but even and, these but even the subspecialty and, um, of, of of pelvic four well, issues and, and it's a significant huge. trauma issue i mean most of the you know interstitial cystitis um, yes. pelvic uh chronic pelvic pain um the 10th cranial nerve let's i mean if you just even think about that and the history of trauma and um self-esteem capacity um lost uh, pregnancy losses, all of that that rolls in and folks that we talk about and how they might encounter you. So it's what's really the whole crux of it in my mind is building relationships in a system that's said, we know how to take care of 
those people that are able to access, able to um, afford, either with time or with money. We are, the system gets that, right? I mean, they're the ones that can actually come to your place, make an appointment, engage in care. But it's the vulnerable populations that, you know, are really the expensive ones that are, um, that's not the sexy place to practice because no. they're really, really hard and they're getting kicked out of the hospitals and the hospitals can't serve them. So right. in my mind, these are huge opportunities for people who can roll up their sleeves and um, see the, first of all, you get motivated by money. Some people do. Like it's yeah. exciting to tackle that population and build a team. And this is where the need to really engage where nursing can look really holistically and go, listen, we need a PT here. And here's how we'll work with that PT. If they're here, here's how we're going to use them or not use them for the patient. So how, how do nurses connect with you? How do they, what's your best advice for nurses in the hospital working, nurses in the community, nurses, uh, nurse practitioners, how do they access and find somebody like you? So um, first I would say that like I've, so as a PT, I've not worked in hospital. I've always been an outpatient clinic, but I did clinicals in hospital and the the value of the nurses behind the PTs is immeasurable. So when you go on a floor to walk a patient, get a patient ready, like the nurses there have them ready to go. And so, you know, it's, it's immeasurable how much that, that helps to be able to um, work as a team to get the job done. Um, As far as finding us, um, I would say, you know, communicating with, um, you know, if you're looking for a specific need for a PT, maybe ask coworkers within the hospital. There's, um, you know, from a logistical standpoint, there's online directories for certain subspecialties. So if it's neuro or, or pelvic floor or, um, so a nurse could simply Google, Physical therapists, pelvic pain near Iowa City. Yes. Sure. Yeah. I think I think also nurses tend to use their their social workers that are at yes their, definitely um, on their respective floors in their practices um, or even at at some uh, like community facilities. Uh, social workers tend to be a a resourceful um, word of mouth. Yeah. Well, they just tend to be a resourceful body of knowledge though You're, too. For, or just if you find a you know physical therapy clinic and if you call them and say, "Hey, this is what our need is. Do you have somebody in the clinic that does that?" And I would hope that if they don't, they can direct you where um, where you can go to find that. Great. Cool. So we usually end our podcast with little uh, uh, pearls of wisdom for our listeners. Uh, is there anything that, uh, like a little quippy saying that you have that, that you've incorporated into your practice or that you give to potential tagline? What's your tagline? Yeah, there you go. Down there matters. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, um, you don't well, that's have a, that's to a, leak. A, uh, you know, that's a good one. Uh, do your Kegels. Um, <laughs> sure. All of that. Well, although Kegels, not always for everybody. No, you so got to make you sure need, you know the so, right muscles. So I would too. say if anything, it's, it's, it's not all Kegels. Cause if you've got pain, Kegels may not be what you need to be doing. Um, you can actually over Kegel. 
surprisingly. Yeah. I can't yeah. imagine. So I don't know that that would be my tagline. Don't, don't. <laughs> All right. Well, you just, yeah. we'll go around I'd like and do like There you go. I like down there matters. Down sure. There matters. Yeah, we'll okay. yeah, that's a bumper sticker <laughs> we'll line, isn't that. it? Yes. <laughs> we all have it down there. Yeah, right? mine is be kind to one another and keep your stick on the ice. So you have to say your name and then... Oh, okay. yeah, I'm Rebecca. <laughs> and this is Tess Judgellis. Keep your eye on the patient and um, keep building relationships that matter. And this is Andy telling you to innovate, agitate, and educate. And this is Kim Blackwell. With my tagline of down there matters, I guess. All right. (laughs) Friends of Flow is brought to you by NCLEX Mastery. Go to the App Store right now, download NCLEX Mastery. And before you leave, if you could just share this with your nursing friends, tell them about us, leave us feedback, go to our Facebook page, tell us what you liked, tell us what you didn't love so much, be nice. But thank you so much. We really appreciate you.